This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 563 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, I am named Matt Baum. Wow. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week we're shining our review spotlight on Tom King's new Adam Strange story and Marvel's new magic school, The Strange Academy. Then it's time for comics and cocktails while we review eight more of this week's new comics in the ludicrous speed round. Later, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're going to tell you all about our must-read comic picks for next week. And finally, Marvel has a very sword-centric X event on the way, so it seemed like a perfect excuse to count down our top five favorite famous comic swords. But not easy. Before we start handling each other's sabers, how about some editorial madness (laughs) while we discuss this week's Nerd News. Show me your saber. Well, I guess. DC's now sole publisher and chief creative officer Jim Lee has indicated that DC won't replace former co-publisher Dan DiDio, who recently exited the company. That's a nice way of saying it. Exited, yes. Speaking at his personal spotlight panel during C2E2 2020, Lee told the audience, quote, There's continually new things going on, and I look at being sole publisher now and the team I'm working with much more in the trenches now than ever before. Uh, Speaking a little bit about the rumors that Warner Brothers or Time Warner or AT&T or whoever we're calling them are going to shut down DC. (laughs) uh, He says, we've been with Warner Brothers for decades. The actual strategy for DC is to put publishing at the center of what we do. Isn't that what you do? It's the engine of all the movies, TV, cartoons we do. And it's, and so it's my intent going forward as the publisher to lean into the collective years of my team. So basically he says DC's not going anywhere. No, he shot down the dumb rumors that Marvel was going to buy DC. He plainly states that DC's not going anywhere and said the 5G initiative is not a reboot. <laughs> and no reboot is planned. You look, I mean, it's we're going to need to no. figure... I just, uh-uh, it already I, happened. We got it. It's just different there are now. things <laughs> I just... First of all... I mean, it's not hitting the reset button, like your, no. your flashpoints or but whatever. Like, let's just, for a moment, if you were reading a news site that was reporting the rumors about AT&T shutting down DC, if... 5G doesn't work, or that Marvel's possibly buying DC, you need to take a hard look at your comic news site, or better yet, right. don't look at it anymore. Purely unsubstantiated bullshit, okay? Yeah, of course. Gone. It's rumor-mongering, so clickbait nonsense. As far as the reboot thing, I'm with you. I don't know what well, I mean, they're y- going to do. You can tell me that you're massa- like, when Rebirth happened, right? it wasn't strictly a reboot, Right, they which just, was kind of they just said like part of the problem. Some stuff's back. No, yeah. I don't mean the new Fifty Two. I mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. When DC Rebirth happened and Superman Reborn later on, uh, or that was earlier. Uh, it was just like some things you missed are coming back. Don't right. worry about it too much. The things that we were reading about last month still happened. Uh, and so if that's what we're talking about, if we're just saying, oh man, the timeline we have now obviously got messed with. Uh, you know what? If you read Flash Seven Fifty, uh, it actually sheds some light on kind of the difference 
in what I think DC is doing in a strict reboot from scratch. Okay. Uh, where there are conflicting histories. Right. Existing side by side, not on parallel Earths. Right. Side, but literally like side by side. In the same universe, and it's not the way things should be. And that's part of the story. Okay. So we will see. All right. We will see. So some stuff's going to slide around. Things are sliding around. But it's not necessarily a reboot. I'm yeah. glad. It, it sucks that DCS comes out and do rumor control like this. But when you lose somebody as big as a co-publisher, Dan DiDio, yeah, you got to come out and do some rumor control. Well, and there's also yeah. going to be a lot of like semantic juggling because right. you can tell me all day long that it's not a reboot, but no one will look at the current Legion of Superheroes series and say, that's definitely the Legion of Superheroes yes. that I remember it's the last time they been. were published. It's absolutely. This yeah, is how they've so always been. Things change. Marvel does it too. They just don't make a big show of it, you know? Sure. So all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, Tony was in Afghanistan, not yeah. Vietnam. Or And when they're, when they're saying reboot here, I just think what they mean is like the hard reboot. Starting from scratch, this is the first appearance of Superman we're not in this doing new that continuity. Anymore. Right. So right. which is good. From our kaiju desk, Marvel Comics has announced a five-issue Ultraman limited series by writers Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom and artist Francesco Mana. I don't know Francesco Mana. Uh, the only name I recognize is Kyle Higgins. Yeah. This was announced at last week at C2E2, Marvel's partnership with Ultraman's owners Sub Subaraya Productions was announced in November. It's a good I like this partnership. I like that Kyle Higgins is on board. Kyle Higgins is doing a lot of stuff for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers yeah. over at Dynamite, or pardon me, at Boom. Yep. And has done a wonderful job with that. Has proven that he understands this stuff and he can not necessarily Americanize it, but make it friendlier for American audiences. He knows audiences. his way around a, a, a license. Yeah. And Ultraman, no reason why it can't be cool. You, you've got a team of guys. One of them has a special thing. There he pushes a button and he grows into a giant dude and he fights monsters. Go. You know? That sounds like so many other things. It's I mean, Ultraman was one of the originals. Like the, one of the original kaiju six like I would say nineteen sixty-two, I think the show premiered. And basically, Ultraman was a chance to keep the Godzilla crew working. And there's even monsters from Godzilla that appeared in Ultraman, oh, yeah. but they look slightly different and had a different name. And sure. Ultraman fought him and beat him up. Mothra. So I don't know if this is going to happen in the regular Marvel U. I don't really need it to, but I do think this is a oh, cool creative it. team. And I have no problem with printing some Ultra stuff here in the Ultraman stuff here in the States. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't like I've literally only the only time I think I've ever actually seen moments from Ultraman is in this room. Sure. Uh, I love the old series and stuff. But I always thought he looked cool. And I was like, man, stopped. that guy's cool. There's a Netflix Ultraman thing right now that you can watch. Oh, really? And it's really good. No it's kidding. really solid anime. It's fun. Oh, is it like a cartoon? Yeah. See, but it's very CG and whatnot. Gotcha, but gotcha, gotcha. spirits there. Team of guys. Monsters show up. We need Ultraman. Ultraman beats up the monster. Yeah, I cool mean shit. they they released a promo image drawn by Ed McGinnis. It yeah. looks slick. I mean, I'm I'll check it out for sure. Should be fun. From the uh, letters that mean other things in different languages desk <laughs> at the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo on Friday. That's C two E two. Marvel Comics announced the first crossover of the X Men's new status quo, the fifteen part. Ten of Swords confirmed, not X of Swords. Not X of Swords. Right. Will begin in July. The crossover will, quote, affect the entire X-Men line, end quote, which by then will include Cable, Children of the Atom, Excalibur, Hellions, Marauders, New Mutants, Wolverine, X-Factor, X-Force, and X-Men. All in there. Yeah. 
Uh, this comes roughly one year after the kickoff of the new status quo masterminded by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, it started in Hawks number one in July 2019. Uh, obviously, we know the X-Men are completely different than as we remember them. They've got their own island. They're bringing people back from the dead. They're sure controlling world governments. It's a whole they're, new thing. They're we've, running a drug cartel. We've talked about it to no end. But in this one, they are both a part of Big Pharma. And an illicit drug cartel at well, the same time. Yeah, yeah, I guess, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but they're their own big pharma. They're bigger pharma. Yeah, you sure. Bigger yeah. pharma. So, <laughs> in the storyline, it sounds like they're going to be threatened by powerful forces from the unknown. Oh, no. Again? So we shall see. Yeah. And 10 mutants will rise up to defend their home, arming themselves with legendary blades. Yeah. Both new and familiar. Ones from Marvel history, mutant kind will finally meet its mystical destiny. Whoa. So I always get a little, I don't know. I always get a little weirded out when mutants need special weapons. You already got powers. Yeah. And like part of the sure, part yeah. of the deal is, and one of the things that Hickman has done really well is put characters together that can use their powers together in interesting ways. Yeah. And back like, each other up. And sometimes I'm into it. Like it's something that's been lacking from the X-Men. Bishop in has a, a gun. Time. He's a cop. Yeah. Cable is a soldier. He has a gun. Right. Nightcrawler thinks he's a swashbuckler. Sometimes he's got Sometimes a sword. Sometimes he's got a sword. Uh, the, the soul sword for Ileana makes sense. She was a fucking demon prisoner for 15 years right. of her life. And it's like a literal extension of herself. We'll right. talk about that later. Yes. But. Um, but yeah, like why does Wolverine need a sword ever? I don't know. Ever. It's not like there isn't precedent for this. Wolverine has used a sword when sure. he fought Ogun and yeah, stuff like that's that. That's true. You know, and needed to use a mystical sword. He's a samurai. To kill the right? demon guy. Yeah, so yeah. whatever. Maybe he's got to do something similar Why like this again. Why does Storm need a sword? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> there that's, we go. Let's get down to the nitty gritty yeah, of it. There better be a good reason for this and it's not just to like sell action figures with weapons yeah you know what i mean uh so hickman will be writing the quote tent poles of the series alongside excalibur scribe tiny howard uh excalibur of course is the current x-men lines magic focused book and the name of a legendary sword i caught up on excalibur recently it's still a lot of fun it's pretty good i'm digging it i will say i'm not gonna freak out and overreact with oh great already a crossover the x-men are I mean, lockstep in a gigantic crossover oh as it's it true is. yeah i mean it's basically a long crossover there's all, no question always, yeah. you can just choose to read what you want to right this is an excuse to get you probably to jump around and try some other and stuff. i suspect that the tent poles or whatever that Hickman is writing are the ones you're going to want to follow if you're only interested in the core story. I'm only reading tent poles these days. It's tent <laughs> poles or go. nothing for me, man. Uh, the title of the crossover is a reference to the Ten of Swords tarot card, uh, which is something that Hickman has referenced uh, even in the earliest days of uh, Hawks and Pox. But it has nothing to do with Alan Davis's tarot. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, just so you're not confused. Uh, I will say um, this was announced, and this was the first time a new Dawn of X book was announced, and I didn't go, yeah, I'm interested in that. I just went, huh, swords, huh? Look, I mean, I still trust Hickman, and we're having a I lot of too. fun. I do, too. With I, and the I vast majority of the X books no that are coming out. No reason to believe it's not going to be good. It's just like- We'll see. The, it's, this is the first time I thought that they were trying to sell me on the gimmick. Yeah, it does- Come off as gimmicky. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, again. There's a mystic thing. All these different yeah. mystic weapons may be needed. Whether not or not the there are time. 10 legendary swords in the Marvel Universe, the time will tell. There will be one way or another. 
It's going to be shit like Iceman can turn his arm into a sword. There's one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see here. We'll see. Maybe we're, we're doing our countdown later. Maybe there's a bunch we missed. I don't know. No. Uh, spoilers. No. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while sharpening our swords, if you know what I mean. Ew. Hey, look, real quick, aside about the news, C2E2 was last weekend. The only one that bothered to really announce anything was Marvel, yeah. and it was, like, mostly minor stuff. Well, I think DC was also playing some, uh, they not were, cleanup, uh, but... Damage control. Yeah, 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 damage yeah, control, yeah, right. basically. <laughs> you fire your co-publisher right before a gigantic show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's going to dominate this. It's going to drown out at whatever other <laughs> announcements you had. Exactly. Hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. It's more fun than watching Nebraska basketball. Which is terrible right now. <laughs> and you control the content. This week we're talking about all of this week's news and your weird comic book reading and collecting rituals. The weirder the better. The weirder the better. Yeah, weird. Call us live on the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. And if you can't be there live... Leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It's spotlight review time in the Ziggurat, and this week we had a sword fight with the Sword of Omen and the Power Sword to see who goes first. Joe, it seems the power of Grayskull was no match for your Eye of Thundera, so you get to go first. Neither which technically comic book swords they're more like cartoons well they have had comic books of both yeah but they were cartoon swords and first. i almost picked them i realized you them. did because you're really bad at this stuff so <laughs> hey look <laughs> i picked five legit comic book swords my review this week is of strange adventures number one from dc comics and inexplicably black label written by tom king it is yeah i didn't know that yes with art by Mitch Garrids and Evan Doc Shaner. There was literally nothing nope. adult-themed at all. I mean, there was one violent scene. But I would say even that's not going to be like... <laughs> that was super comic book Yeah, violent. I mean... Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think I think it was just like, you know what? We're just going to not even tempt anybody to try to tie this into continuity. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. Uh, it is a an amount of pages for $4.99. The website didn't say. Here's a part of your solicit. Adam Strange is the hero of Ran, a man famous throughout the galaxy for his bravery and honor. After leading his adopted home to victory in a great planetary war, Adam and his wife Alana retire to Earth, where they are greeted by cheers, awards, and parades. But not all is happy and nice as it seems, as the decisions Adam made during battles on Ran come back to haunt his family and threaten the entire DC universe. And now a surprise DC hero will have to choose between saving Adam Strange and saving the world. I guess it's only really threatening the black label universe. Yeah, so like uh, <laughs> the Batman damned. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The one where Harley Quinn's a sexy psychiatrist. Totally, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Strange is living a pretty great life on Earth, enjoying the perks of being a legendary intergalactic war hero. He's doing book signings, appearing on TV, accepting major awards and medals. But this is a Tom King project, so we almost immediately get the sense that something is off. There's a bloodied family portrait by Adam and Alana's bedside. We know that something happened to his daughter, but we're not sure what. The flashback scenes showing Adam defending Rand have a very uh, have a very stilted dialogue style, uh, like over the top melodramatic, making the entire thing seem unreal or even fictional. 
Suddenly, Adam is accused of war crimes by a frothing maniac, and when his accuser winds up dead, Adam's celebrity suddenly turns to suspicion. Like many of King's projects, there's a lovely sense of melancholy as his characters are forced to deal with real-world circumstances. You really believe that something deeply profound happened to Adam and his family during the war. As we said earlier, I have no idea why this needed to be a Black Label book. Uh, I'm not as obsessed with things fitting together as I used to be, but shoving strange adventures into that imprint kind of bugs me, it, like irrationally bugs me. It's like, I mean, why? Maybe something is going to happen. I don't know. I mean, full frontal uh, right. alien nudity. In there was like two. one scene of Adam and Alana like making love, but it was so shaded. Super that it silhouetted. Was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen I way mean, less tame stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The art is outstanding, of course. Each page is laid out in a wide three-panel grid, uh, with Garrods and Shaner splitting the page into smaller panels whenever they need to. There's a sketchy realism to Garrods' present-day scenes, while Shaner's war stories are slick and bright. I've never really noticed how his pencil work, we're talking about Garrods here, his pencil work is so tight that he colors it straight from that with no inks. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm... Always impressed with his ability to make his characters emote, uh, even with something as silly as Adam sitting on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, pew pewing imaginary yeah. aliens with finger guns. <laughs> He's got this look on his face like, yeah. <laughs> Shanner's classic superhero style is perfect for the space opera melodrama. Now I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit here. I don't know if you remember me reading the entire solicit for this book last week, but suffice it to say... DC was real proud of this comic before the first issue had even gone to the printers. Comparisons were made to such lofty works as Watchmen, The Dark Knight Returns, and DC The New Frontier, proclaiming that this series will be talked about for years to come. This is like Casey at the Bat, bottom of the ninth. I don't understand down what two runs so much. <laughs> and refusing to swing at pitches kind of cockiness. He's like, no, no. I got this, guys. Yeah, I got but, this. I mean, like, what's the big deal? They do this all the time. I understand. Don't get me wrong. Strange Adventures number one is an excellent comic book with compelling mysteries and beautiful art. But DC has set the bar so high right off the bat, it's difficult to remember that this ultimately will be judged as a complete story. That the creative team shouldn't be expected to clear the bar after just the first issue and setting them up like that isn't doing anyone involved any favors. Like, I noticed a lot of extra critical scrutiny about this book online because of DC's marketing of it. Like, as the greatest book you will read in 2020. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I, it's I, that, not, though. It's I, not. I, I don't. I. That's... Look, if somebody wants to read a solicit that's not even written by the creative team... It's all part of the package, the man. That, I mean, that's... No, 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 no. I'm saying it's all part of the package. I get it. It's all part of the package. But I mean, this is what. And they, so it sex, is it sets an stuff. expectation. Sure, but this is how stuff is marketed. This uh -huh. is how, it, like I said, read any New York Times bestsellers like book marketing shit, and it's the same thing. Yeah, and, you know? and that's. It ain't great for the creators involved nah. if they strike out. There will be no joy in Mudville, Matt. I mean, there would be one way or another. I mean, like, if they strike out, they strike out. Whether or not they said it was any good, it's going to have anything Look, to do with man, it. Look, man, all I'm saying is the last murder mystery I read by Tom King was Heroes in Crisis. So let's measure expectations just a wee bit. 
it still gets a buy it. <laughs> I guess I just don't understand your criticism there. I'm giving it a buy. That it as wasn't well. a criticism of the comic. I that was it. criticism of DC's marketing, right? Which has nothing to do with the comic. Yes, so it does. Like it's all it part of the package. Not even taking into consideration. Mm. This was beautiful. This was what I like Tom King to do. This felt like a return to what I enjoyed about his Mister Miracle that I didn't so much see in his Batman storyline. And I think in a tighter story, it's going to be very interesting. Great last page here. I really like yeah. the idea of who they introduced yep. to come investigate him. And I like that he's wide open, but there seems to be something going on. My guess is it's something with his brain and they messed with him and he doesn't know what he did or something along those lines. Uh, I don't but know. But we'll see. So far, number issue one, gorgeous. Perfect. And I'm looking forward to more. And I this was wonderful. I'm going to buy it. I got the impression that it was a little bit more straightforward than like the Mr. Miracle. Like, is he dead? Oh, I don't think it's on that level. I like. I almost wonder if the bad guys legit messed with him and he doesn't know it. Oh, see, and I'm. I just think that like he might be guilty of things and not necessarily or think that he's the good that guys. He did anything wrong? May have messed with him as well. Yeah, he may not think he did anything wrong, or he may not know that he did it wrong. I yeah, mean, we'll I mean, see. Matt, I hear you've got a strange story to tell of your own. Ooh, it's a weird one. I'm reviewing Strange Academy number one from Marvel. Written by Scotty Young with art by Humberto Ramos. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here is your solicit. The Marvel Universe has mysteriously changed in such an alarming way that Doctor Strange has done what he's avoided for decades. He's opened a school for young sorcerers. Young people from around the world with an aptitude in magic have been brought together in New Orleans to study the mystic arts under Strange, Brother Voodoo, the Ancient One, the Scarlet Witch, Magic, Hellstrom, and all your favorite Marvel magicians. But with all the new magical threats. Is it too late? They keep saying that now that magic has been restored to the Marvel Universe, it seemed like a good time to do this. Yep, we just restored magic. Magic is back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't either. Because now, look, I'm when willing, did magic leave? I'm willing to admit that I, am not, I have not always been current on the Doctor Strange comic series. I'm pretty caught up. I think... Um, I think I might recall something about the first run of Jason Aaron's Doctor Strange where well, magic was, was a little wonky. Well, there was a thing where he was he losing like his magic axe. and he went in space to like find magic items and stuff like that. But it wasn't like the whole world. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're referencing. So regardless. It doesn't that. matter. Unlike the Marvel Cosmic Universe. I also don't know how the ancient one is alive. <laughs> He's ancient. He's been dead for years. Unlike the Marvel Cosmic Universe, the magic corners of the Marvel U have never really had much going on outside of Doctor Strange's adventures. There have been some brief series for Doc Voodoo and Scarlet Witch and whatnot, but I can't recall like a magic team book that elevated the mystic Marvel Knights. So I was kind of excited to see Doc Voodoo and company showing up in this type of book. Young Story is fairly by the numbers, we meet some kids with magic abilities. They fight a bit at first after being invited to the magic school, but ultimately they learn that they have to work together. The character choices are fun. There's an ice giant, a demon girl from Limbo, a couple of Asgardians, some thing from Weird World, and a couple human kids too. Each has their own interesting abilities and, of course, their own secrets. There's a formula at play here, but Young is doing a nice job with it. Humberto Ramos is probably the perfect artist for a book this bright and fantastic. His insane cartooning ability lends itself perfectly to the weird magic insanity of the school and each of the students' different magic abilities. Ramos is one of those artists I don't always love, but you can't argue he's a legend, and here he is just working at the top of his game. 
Edward Delgado's colors make Ramos's art just crackle with supernatural energy, and they help drive home the warm, animated art style that he's bringing to the book, too. Again, there's nothing very new here, but the execution is great. And yes, it's another group of youngsters at a strange school learning about their powers story, but it does work. Strange Academy is a solid place for some of Marvel's B-list magic characters, and the younger class is a well-thought-out and interesting group. Here's to hoping that Strange Academy can actually build some traction and stick around. We shall see. But I'm giving issue number one a buy it. Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, like you said, it's not it's not like setting the world on fire with originality or anything. Uh, um, but there's an added wrinkle to the magic element of it that's not present in like an Avengers ca- uh, Academy or an X-Men Academy yeah. where it's like just replace the hook with a different thing. It's like mutants, teenage superheroes. Right. This is like. The fabric of reality is collapsing, and I need to teach you kids how to fix it. Yeah, theoretically. Uh, Which I think is kind of a neat hook. Yeah. Um, uh, I I think much like uh, Amethyst, number one from last week, this is a very, like, easy breezy read. Uh, uh, um, I I think that it uh, is a nice kind of thing that resonates with a younger audience. Yeah, well-written young adult. Yeah. Um, Again. Uh, the art was beautiful. The art was beautiful. Yeah, I, I really, lo- <laughs> really. Uh, most of the kids I thought were super interesting. The ones that we got t- any time with. Uh, I loved Doyle Dormammu. Yeah, he's who great. Who is like this popped collar preppy asshole. Yeah, and he's like this little Dormammu head <laughs> on a kid. <laughs> and there's another kid who's he's just like this enthusiastic little chubster. And you don't really notice anything about him. And then there's the big battle and his coat. Yeah. Springs to life with terrifying monsters. Yeah, he's got like an enchanted cloak or yeah, something. Yeah, and like just know. these creatures are pouring out of it. And yeah. the, one of the girls is like, your coat is gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. Quite enjoyed it. So it's a double buy for Strange Adventures, number one, and a double buy for Strange Academy, number one. We're going to post our written reviews over to Twitter Nerd so you can judge our strange opinions, but we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too. You can give us a holler this weekend on THN cover to cover at its a new time, 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time, or hey, uh, hit us on Facebook, drop us a tweet, tell us how wrong we were, or tell us, man, you guys are really smart. I'm glad I went out and bought that. Thanks, dudes. Yeah, do one of those things. It's time to review more of this week's comics, but before we do, let's wet our whistles with a cocktail from the official THN bartender, Mr. Justin Robert Fletcher, who put together the cocktail of the week. Justin, what are we sipping on this week? We're calling this one the Grass Cutter because it's very nice and herbal. Grass Cutter is a great answer. Okay, so uh, this time we have a aperitivo before dinner cocktail. Um, This one's going to be made with sherry, Madeira, sherry and Madeira, and Bonal, uh, as well as sherry, oh, and a Braulio Amaro. What's the Bonal? Huh? What's Bonal? Banal, uh, it's it's a lot like sweet vermouth, but it's a little more rich, has a little more depth of flavor. Gotcha. A kind of Carpano Antica like. Um, you're going to put three quarters of an ounce of all four of those things into a stirring vessel, stir it on ice. Um, I am adding uh, house-made cardamom tincture to this, so you're probably not going to have that one at the ready, but you can come get that here from me. Um, <laughs> cardamom tincture, stir it. Um, put it up in a coop 
um, express lemon peel, and that's it. Uh, this is super nutty and cardamom on the finish. The THN Cocktail of the Week is brought to you by Au Courant on the Benson Strip in Omaha, Nebraska, where Justin manages their bar program and Chef Ben Maids has just been announced as a James Beard nominee for 2020. Congrats, Chef Ben. Now with Drink in Hand, join us as we review eight more of this Wednesday's Ludicrous Speed! The Ludicrous Speed Round! Excelsior! There's something going on there. Woofta. Spider-Man Neuer, number one from Marvel. One of the standout characters from 2018's Into the Spider-Verse is back in his own series with a new mystery that will take private dick Peter Parker all around the globe. Margaret Stoll's script is pure pulp goodness, but the real stars are Juan Ferreira's art and colors. The sepia palette underneath the heavy black line work makes Ferreira's art leap from every page. Stoll is weaving an interesting tale, but Ferreira's stunning art makes Spider-Man Noir number one worth the price of admission. I'm giving it a buy it. This is in the Spider-Man Noir corner of the Spider-Verse or whatever, though? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a, like a... a there, there has been a, a regular Spider-Verse ongoing or right. mini kind of, uh, and he's involved in it. And he, yeah, they're kind of going back to his, okay. his 1930s era. Marvel number one. From IDW. <laughs> Just kidding. It's from Marvel. Alex Ross acclaimed Marvel's series returns. Sorta. Kinda. This time as an anthology. The story opens with a Ross-painted story with our narrator, Nightmare, setting up two following stories. One by the amazing painter Frank Espinoza about Spidey trying to save some money on web fluid. And one about the Hulk causing problems for the Silver Age Avengers by Kurt Busiek. And one of my favorite artists, Steve Rude. Spidey's story is beautiful to look at. But it's just a cute story at best. The Avengers story is, again, cute and amazingly illustrated, but there just wasn't much here in either story that I felt like added up to required reading, if you will. Even the setup by Nightmare, where he's bragging about his new power and a plan that leads into two stories that didn't make much sense. Why would Nightmare be bragging about two cute hero stories where the heroes win in the end? <laughs> again... The stories are perfectly good for an anthology hero short with great art, but nothing really hit me here, so I'm just kind of giving it a skim. I don't understand the premise of this comic. I don't either. We've got this, which is an anthology. We've got The Marvels, which is Curb Usyk's new team book. Right. With any character, so basically an anthology. Right. Then there's also something coming out called Marvel's Spotlight, right? which are single-issue stories featuring specific characters by specific creators. No clue. It's like three different projects that are all basically doing the same thing. And this has no connection whatsoever to the old Alex Ross Marvels. Like, literally none. Yeah, and I don't know what you were talking about with the Al Ewing thing. You asked me last night if There's this was There's that big tied crossover thing. That Empire? Yeah. Oh, no, this is just a... Oh. I wasn't sure. I, I, I read it and I was like, what are we doing here? I yeah, just didn't no, even... I, I don't get it either. Outer Darkness, Chew, number one from Image, just in time. Yeah, writer John Lehman unites with current and former collaborators Afu Chan and Rob Guillory for a crossover he swears has been in the works since almost the beginning of the Chewniverse. After diplomatic talks with a race that only communicates through food go horribly wrong, Captain Rig of the Karan has no choice but to pull FDA agents Chew and Colby hundreds of years into the future to help. As much as the ending of Chew rubbed me the wrong way, and I looked at it again today to confirm, and yup, I fucking hate it. Okay. 
I had a really great time reconnecting with these characters. Uh, plus, it reminded me how much I enjoyed the first couple issues of Outer Darkness. Uh, it inspired me to get caught up on the series. There's two volumes out now. Okay. It's very good. Uh, Outer Darkness 2, number one, presents an unlikely crossover with fantastic art. It was a blast to read. I'm giving it a buy. All right. Join the future, number one, from Aftershock. In the future, megacities promise a new, carefree life for families that choose to work for the megacorp that owns the city. No disease, guaranteed income, spacious living, but there are still small cities that live off the grid and shun technology. Zach Kaplan writes the story of a young girl, Clementine, whose dad is the mayor of a holdover town with basically Old West tech level. Clem is starting to wonder why they are fighting the idea of what seems to be idyllic living in the megacities, but her father obviously knows what the megacorp is hiding. Peter Kowalski is amazing on art, Love as usual, drafting sprawling future cityscapes contrasted with Clem's hometown and the surrounding woods. Fans of Westworld and dystopian future stories like The Hunger Games will feel right at home here, giving it a buy it. Flash, 750 from DC. This one explains it all. <laughs> well, not quite. No. This milestone 80-page issue restores the Flash to its quote-unquote original numbering with a bang. It's chock-full of great stories from a ton of excellent creators, and even the least of the bunch is still pretty good. The lead story by the main creative team of Joshua Williamson and Rafa Sandoval about how the citizens of Central City feel about the Flash is really touching, and it manages to set up his next big villain. We even get a story set during Wally West's heyday by Jeff Johns and Scott Collins, and the first Jay Garrick solo tale of the new DC timeline. Hey. And it kicked ass. And you could knock me over with a feather, but the flash forward epilogue by Scott Lobdell and Brett Booth got me really excited for Generation Zero. This was a fantastic issue, an awesome tribute to my favorite family of characters. Flash 750 gets a huge bite. Is Generation Zero the Wally West thing where he's on the Mobius chair? Yep. No kidding. It's the Generation Zero is the free comic book day oh God, that's thing okay. that sets up the Generation 1, Generation 2 okay. miniseries. Mercy, number one from Image. Writer-artist Mirka Andolfo, who created the critically acclaimed sexy pig story Unnatural, <laughs> takes on Victorian horror with this story of what seems to be a demon helping out superstitious people of a small town plagued by a devil. Or... Maybe another demon. Not sure yet. There is a lot of setup and mystery here, along with a little sexy naughtiness. And Delfo is famous for the art is beautifully animated and colored. And Delfo is a very classic, almost Don Bluth animated style that looks amazing on the page and creates some very effective motion and pacing. Speaking of pacing, Andolfo also gives the script some breathing room to build some solid characterization and a compelling mystery. I'm still not real clear on Mercy's twist, but it's coming into focus and obviously a large part of the story. Mercy number one is a solid first issue for what looks to be a heady, mature audience. Victorian horror story, I'm giving it a buy it. Billionaire Island from Ahoy! Mark Russell has done it again. Billionaire Island is a scathing indictment of the ultra-rich including, literally, David Koch, who appears shirtless on panel, <laughs> whose relentless greed has driven the planet to the brink of ruin in the too near future. Instead of using their immense wealth for the betterment of all, they've simply fucked off to a floating island fortress in international waters to wait out the end of the world where nothing can reach them, or so they think. Oh, damn. Russell's social commentary and comedy blend seamlessly with his smart dialogue, Steve Pugh's dynamic art, shows a bright and sleek fantasy world plastered, not fantasy, but like right. fantasy island yeah. where anything can happen. Uh, plastered over a grimy reality, 
add in my standard disclaimer that all oh, Ahoy books come packed with extra content, yada, 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 and that makes Billionaire Island number one a definite buy it. Superman Villains One-Shot from DC. This time we get to see how some of the villains are dealing with Clark's Superman announcement, and the Toy Man portion really hit home. Hell yeah, it did. There was some very uneven art here, though, that I could not even look at at times. It's that style yeah. where an artist affects what looks like you're photography. Like, you're trying to be Alex Maleev, but it, it just looks like you're putting on some very thick Photoshop I filters. I hate that. Yeah. There was a little break with the infected Supergirl that I also can't say I enjoyed. Too long. But everything else works in that Bendis Superman cadence I've come to love. Do we need any more Superman specials about this? No. But I did enjoy both the heroes and the villain special, even if the villain special could have centered on, I don't know, more villains. <laughs> there was a lot of Perry stuff going on here. That's true. And he's not a villain. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> I mean, really. Going in a buy. Fascoom, Fascoom! That is your ludicrous speed round end. Fascoom, Fascoom! It's the sound of Benjamin J. Grimm shrugging off a volley of Gambit's exploding cards, as seen in the pages of X-Men Fantastic Four number two. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Brian Domingos on Twitter. If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, and many of you did this week when I put out the call, thank yeah, you. Yeah, nice job. You can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And remember to stop by O'Courant to try the THN cocktail of the week. In my mind, there's like a little plaque on the bar. Yeah. With like a sign that they swap out, you know, every week where it's a new cocktail. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. With our picture on it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You got it. <laughs> All right. It's time to head on up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we've been prepping our St. Patty's Day brisket with the help of some actual leprechauns. It turns out they work for booze and they're way cooler than hanging out with moloids. Joe, pass those peppercorns so I can get them in the cauldron and tell these nerds about your pick. For next week. Next week, I am excited for Decorum number one from Image Comics. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mike Huddleston. It's 56 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Series premiere! There are many assassins in the known universe. This is the story of the most well-mannered one. Quote, manners are a sensitive awareness of the feelings of others. If you have that awareness, you have good manners, no matter what knife you use. Oh, my. End quote. Okay. Uh, I don't have any clue what this comic book is about. I don't care. It's the Hickman and Mike Huddleston. I, it, look, it looks beautiful. Yeah, if, this, it was, looks if beautiful. this was like pigs having sex with each other, I would read it. It's a comic book <laughs> adaptation of the Chili's To Go menu. I'm into it. Yes. Uh, Matt. What are you reading next week? My pick for next week is North Bend, number one. It's from Scout. It's written by Ryan Ellsworth with art by Robert Carey. It's 32 pages for $3.99. And here is your solicit. In the not-too-distant future, <laughs> this <laughs> the U.S. is at war against Russia and its own people. The country is on the verge of economic collapse and political revolution. Desperate to regain control, the CIA recruits Seattle DE agent Brendan Krug to test an experimental mind control drug on unwitting Americans. Compelled by his sense of duty to his country, Brendan struggles to keep his life from falling apart as he tries to reconcile his personal beliefs with the security of the nation. Ryan Ellsworth is a name that's been coming up. He's a talented guy, and I think this sounds interesting. It's I love this like near future dystopian stuff, and there's not a lot else coming out next week that isn't just sort of like basic superhero stuff. This was one of the things that stood out to me and said that looks like it could be interesting. I like basic. I'm giving it a shot. I do too. I just feel like I've read too much of it lately. Sure. The THN trade of the week goes to the Oracle Code trade paperback from DC Comics, written by Marika Nykamp. Sure. 
I'm going to say that Jay is silent. Art by Manuel Pretano. It's 208 pages for $16.99. Here's your solicit. DC graphic novels for young adults, six inches by nine inches. <laughs> I'm glad they gave it to size. Thank you. The number one New York Times bestselling author, Murray Gay Nijkamp, and artist Manuel Pretano unveil a graphic novel that explores the dark corridors of Barbara Gordon's first mystery, herself. After a gunshot leaves her paralyzed below the waist, Barbara Gordon must undergo physical and mental rehabilitation at Arkham Center for Independence. She must adapt to a new normal, but she cannot shake the feeling that something is dangerously amiss. Strange sounds escape at night while patients start to go missing. Is this suspicion simply a result of her trauma, or does Barbara actually hear voices coming from the center's labyrinthian hallways? Labyrinthine. Labyrinthian. It's up to Barbara to put the pieces together to solve the mysteries behind the walls. In the Oracle Code, universal truths cannot be escaped, and Barbara Gordon must battle the phantoms of her past before they consume her future. Honestly, uh, sounds more interesting than what's going on in Bat Batwoman right now. Batgirl. Yeah. Batgirl. Uh, uh, it sounds great, and I love it when they like. I understand this is not like a continuity thing. This is a young adult yeah. graphic novel, um, but I just love the idea of Barbara Gordon becoming a stronger character despite her trauma. No way. I'm sorry. I just think it's way more interesting that they took that away from her and put her back in spandex. You know, like, I mean, really, come on, man. Uh, a lot of people excited about this one. Uh, and actually, usually the THN trade of the week is for the week that we release. So it comes out today. That's oh. how I do it. Oh, I thought. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure how I got in the habit of should that. Be next week. No, I always I always pick a trade that comes out the, the week the show comes out so that they have something to go by right then. Oh, same as our comic reviews. I thought we we're supposed to be doing. Next week's. No, no, no. Maybe we should remove the trade of the week from the Sanctum then. Well, but it's like the trade of next week, I guess, is what it is. It's not, though. It's the trade of this week. This is a comic book that came out this week. I didn't know you've been doing it wrong this week. No, I've been doing it right, and you just don't pay attention. Okay. These are just a few of the comics hitting the news shelves at your LCS next Wednesday, March 11th. That's a problem. So be sure to add them to your poll files and let us know what you're reading over at the THN forum. Breakdown, baby. It's time for another THN Top 5, and since the X-Men are all getting swords, we decided to count down our top five favorite comic book S-words. Matt, have at you! And start us off. Starting with number five, mine goes to Hellfire. The sword carried by Travis Morgan, Warlord. Once drawn, it requires the drawing of blood before it can be resheathed, which is like a really bad idea. But the whole idea was like Warlord, before he draws his sword and he's going to fight and whatever, he's going to think about it. He's got to, you know, like. It's like, don't pull a gun on somebody unless exactly. you're prepared to use it. Exactly. So, and that was one of the things. <laughs> Except I, in this case, it would be, if you pull that gun, you have to use yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, this was a treasure from the age of wizard kings. The sword was given to Morgan by the mayor of the dwarves. The mayor said that the sword once had a gemstone in its blade. And of course, Morgan found the shattered pieces of the hellfire gem, which he placed into the blade. And upon doing so, the sword simmered with even more power. This is like the old school warlord who was basically naked. Like, he wore less clothes he than wore, Red Sonya. Yeah, he wore a, a metal loincloth with a big yep. skull codpiece uh, and a flaming, uh, 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 a winged yeah. 
helmet, like Thor style. And I, it was sort of like a Lemuria type thing. He, uh, it, uh, it was the lost world of Skartaris. Oh, that's right. Skartaris. And it is at the center of the earth. Which is very similar to Lemuria and all that. Where dinosaurs still exist. I it's got much these, more like the Savage Land. I picked these up. It, well, the Savage Land of that is also based on all the Lemuria stuff, but you know, <laughs> from way back. No, the uh, Kree built the Savage Land. Well, okay. Yes. The whole idea of a lost continent with dinosaurs. Look, man, I get it. Don't pull that Lemuria shit with me when there are actual (laughs) Lemurian characters in the comic books. The point being is I picked up some of these from like Warlord comics that is from a garage sale a million years ago. And I fell in love with the character because he had a gun and a sword. (laughs) Yeah, because he was a pilot. Yeah. Oh, he he was a pilot and he he, he got shot down and he was lost. Uh, My number five. It's short and sweet, baby. Uh, my number five goes to Azrael's giant flaming sword arms. Yeah, man. Because they're fucking cool. <laughs> and that's the only reason. Somebody on Twitter uh, was talking to Matt, given that Azrael had like seven different swords. It was a different Azrael. Yeah. At that time, around Batman R.I.P., there was a different Azrael who was mm-hmm. like a disgraced cop or and whatever. He had like a sword of sins or something like that. I hated that shit. Yeah, I, hated I hated it. it too. He, he had that armor that yeah. was like the armor of punishment. Yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> it was dumb. No. I just and they want, just like farted in a whole new Azrael character yeah. that literally had nothing to do nothing. with Azrael. Right. Give me crazy ass John Paul Valley yeah. brainwashed by a secret order of monks with orangutan DNA, orangutan <laughs> DNA, and his gi- his huge unwieldy gloves, yeah. his three fingered mitten gloves, and his giant flaming sword arms cool designed by Joe Casada. That's right, he was cool as hell. Loved it. Matt, what's your number four? My number four goes to the Soul Sword. Oh, uh, really? Ileana Rasputin's sword that she created or like summoned while trapped in limbo. She magically caused her own life force energy to manifest before her. And once this happened, she cast her hand into the Eldritch energy and drew forth the Soul Sword, which back in the day was just like a sword. You know, it's just, just kind of sword. Yeah, yeah just like a little thing. Later on, it looked like the big gigantic Final Fantasy sword that like Cloud Strife carries. Yeah, it, there was actually a bit in the description. Uh, a simple looking blade upon its origin, it develops intricate designs and forms upon itself. The more Ileana uses it. Yes, uh, the owner also seems to be the ruler of Limbo. Yep, if you've so got the Soul Sword, you're a badass. Been a bunch of arguments over that over the days. It first appeared in Uncanny X-Men 171, 1983, same issue that Rogue joined the team. Hey, there you go. How about that? Uh, interestingly enough, the Soul Sword generally Ow. has no physical effect. You could hit somebody with it and it wouldn't hurt them. Yeah, it just like disrupts like magic it spells. It disrupts magic shit, spells. It? Right. Now, however... Uh, as she has gotten more powerful, she we, just died and come back from the dead. She got bonded to the Phoenix one time. Yeah. And after all of that, the sword sword, the soul sword is now very powerful and she has used it to take down Sentinels. Yeah, we've seen it cut all <laughs> kind of stuff. So. My number four goes to the Twilight Sword. The Twilight Sword is the giant sword of Surtur, Lord of uh, oh. what is it? Muspelheim? Yeah. Muspelheim. Uh, it is also known as the Sword of Doom. <laughs> it's composed of a metal known as Scabrite, which can only be found in the mines of Surtur's realm. The sword is magical, duh, capable of manipulating vast amounts of mystical energy and can be used to perform feats such as 
shattering dimensional barriers. Oh, damn. Inhibiting Odin's powers. Ooh. Loki used <laughs> Inhibiting it. Odin's powers. Like, yeah. I can't do shit. Oh, man, I really had to poop, but now I can't. <laughs> uh, Loki temporarily tapped into the power of the Twilight Sword to change Thor into a frog. Oh, that was a Twilight Sword, wasn't it? Yeah, That's and fine. Thor is normally resistant to that type of magical transformation, according okay. to this right. article. It can make Asgardians sick. He once used it to shatter the Rainbow Bridge. Oh, shit. Damn. Morgan Le Fay. That thing breaks all the time. It does. <laughs> it Morgan really Le Fay. <laughs> Morgan Le Fay tapped into the power of the sword to reach shape the entire planet earth from modern day into a medieval world after using the chaos magic of the scarlet witch to quote bridge the gap between her personal fairy powers and the asgardian magic I'm found in the this sword is a little overpowered uh that ha- that <laughs> happened in the first three issues of the hero's return avengers by george perez and kurt busiek i forgot that the twilight zord was involved it turned everybody into like medieval old-timey versions like Yeoman America. <laughs> oh, this wasn't like the Marvel 1690 no, no, whatever. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, yada, yada, yada. When the sword is bonded with the eternal flame, it can be used to bring about Ragnarok. Damn. Yuck. That sword is way too powerful. Yeah, really. Somebody needs to throw that goddamn thing away. <laughs> right, that's going to be a problem. What's your number three? My number three goes to Soul Taker. That's my number three. Hey, it's wielded by Katana. It steals the souls of its victims so Katana can communicate with them later. Also holds her husband's soul. She thinks. Trapped in there. Jury, she had to, she straight up like talk to her jury is out. and whatnot. It says it says she believes. Oh, I thought she, I thought she's actually contact like yes. he's like helped her with stuff through it. Yeah, like talk to her. There have been times where Katana has been portrayed as not exactly all there. Okay, well the edge is sharp enough to cut through even indestructible Dilu steel. I don't know what that is mm. with ease, but it sounds badass. Its first appearance was the Brave and the Bold number two hundred way back. In 1983. Uh, it also it just looks like a regular katana, but yeah. it is strong enough to deflect bullets. That's right. Uh, my number three, uh, my number two is the soul sword, which we already talked about. Oh, we already talked about it. Then I'll do my number two. The ebony blade, not the laser sword. The well, str- the laser sword is not the ebony the blade. straight up ebony blade. This is created by Merlin and made of starstone. It's indestructible and can cut through just about anything, but not adamantium. <laughs> Anything except the most durable substances. Yes. The blade and its wielder are linked, and the wielder can be transported to the blade's location through a mystic ceremony, or sometimes even as just an act of will. In a few cases, we've seen Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, has been transported into the body of an ancestor that wielded the blade before Yeah, as well. So spoiler alert, my number one is the ebony blade. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I have some notes. Okay. Um it was forged from a meteorite. I did not get Starstone. Uh, it was imbued with the sacred waters of the pool of blood, yeah. a mystical river that contains the life's blood of all souls, living and dead. Whoa. It's all of them, huh? All of them. Wow. <laughs> uh, the ebony, how big is it? It's, <laughs> it's got to be pretty good size. Huge. <laughs> the ebony blade was passed through the familial line of Sir Percy of Scandia, who was the first black knight he served with uh, King Arthur. Yeah, it's like Buffy. There's been a bunch of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's indestructible. It can cut through anything. You said that. Uh, it protects whomever wields it from death. It can also disrupt. Except for when they die. Well, <laughs> natural causes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it can also disrupt, absorb, and penetrate energy fields, including the invisible woman's force fields. I remember specifically, uh, and energy attacks. I remember specifically, there was an issue of the Avengers. It was during that very famous 
It was the final chapter of that very famous storyline under siege where the masters of evil uh, invade the mansion and they like put Jarvis in the hospital. They fuck up Hercules. And so the Avengers are at their lowest point and they're <laughs> fighting they're back. Like, they, they fuck up Hercules, but they just put Jarvis in the hospital. No, they torture like, Jarvis. Why didn't they blow him up? <laughs> yeah, I know because they're sadistic about it. Like they, they torture Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I they, yeah, they, in, they injure Hercules severely. And there is a scene in that comic where uh, they're fighting and the Black Knight swings the energy, energy uh, the uh, ebony blade and slices an energy beam in two. I was like fucking badass totally badass i love it uh, they better do something that cool in this eternals movie they better i know they better the worst part though about the ebony blade is that it has a curse oh. that corrupts the wielder the more blood it spills that's right uh it, it gets bloodthirsty it, it's bloodthirsty it causes madness the curse skips generations so the uh dane whitman generally speaking is fine to every other wielder is like screwed every other his uncle who was the original black knight was a member of the masters of evil bummer. he was crazy bummer uh, if enough blood is shed, the user will become the blood wraith. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ebony Blade's my number one favorite. My number one goes to Grass Cutter, the Kusanagi blade carried by Usagi Yojimbo. And it was also the subject of my favorite Usagi Yojimbo storyline, Grass Cutter. Kusanagi no Surigi, also known as Grass Cutter, the Sword of the Gods, or the Sword of the Village of the Clustering Clouds, is a legendary holy sword in the Usagi Ujimbo series, which is the central object of the Grasscutter arc and the Grasscutter 2 arc. The whole story was it was this magic sword. A bunch of evil guys set out to get it because they wanted to return the evil emperor to power in Japan, but a wandering ronin, Usagi Ujimbo, accidentally finds it because it tries to find its way to good people more or less and it is an enchanted sword but to him it was just a sword and he didn't even know what the power was and stuff like that and because he's such a good level-headed dude didn't even want to use it wanted to give it as a gift to this other emperor that he thought was a good guy of course it doesn't quite work out (laughs) you know but it is super powerful it had like you can it causes earthquakes in some scenes and whatnot and it can strike down demons and all this stuff but yusagi doesn't use it for that power he holds back and only uses it when necessary because he's such a badass samurai with a badass samurai sword it is my favorite comic book sword grass cutter this story is gonna make grass cutter look like grass cutter too (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) that is the best joke from jane silent bob strike back the best the house party house party two joke that chris rock says it's not worth it for the the rest of the movie is worthless yeah there's not a good movie Breakdown, baby. All right, let us know if you think we missed a sword or obviously messed up our ranks. Be sure to hit us up on the THN Top 5 Forum or call us this Saturday on Cover to Cover and whip out your sword. Again, too many innuendos. Well, I mean, come on, man. What do you want to do? Everybody holds that scent in front of them. What do you think a sword is? Turn into the well over and over again. Extension of your, you know. Come on. (laughs) Your arm? I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 563, and next week we're prepping for Bloodshot with a 48-hour Vin Diesel film spectacular. Joe, before we dive into the chronicles of Riddick, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? Deadshot will not be out by the time we record next week. No, it comes out that weekend, though. We're getting ready for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just wanted to yeah. make sure you knew. Bloodshot.
Yeah, same thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely not the same Death thing. Blow. <laughs> Death blow. Death <laughs> blow. This week's question was submitted by New Guy via the THN forums. With all the orange-tinted uncertainty in the world, sometimes you need to find stability in the things you can control. I'm lucky enough to work close to my local comic shop, so on Wednesdays, over lunch, I walk over, pick up my new comics, and head straight for a nearby coffee shop. I order the same cinnamon roll and coffee and read through lunchtime. It's a nice little ritual that gives me something to look forward to every week. It also helps take my mind off the fact that there is a non-zero chance that we will all be vaporized by the hubris of a global madman. <laughs> Sorry, I did it again. He said global madmen. Mad he wasn't definitely specifically talking about one yeah. singular madman. Madmans. Right. So, do you have any comic or otherwise nerdy rituals? That's a fun one. Yeah. If you're new to the show and you'd rather run yourself through with your family's mystical blade that you inherited rather than here anymore, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN or digital long box archive at twittednerd.com. But also that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like our newest patron, Tony Mathers. That guy. I can't believe he still talks to us. I know. Patronizes us. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our pals at the Grawlix Podcast, who are celebrating six years of podcasting excellence this week. Where do you guys? Jesse, we miss your sound effects. On yeah, cover, buddy. I do. I'm totally missing Like, I gotta hear that blinking sound. Until right. next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might split you in half Conan the Librarian style. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. <laughs>